0: Good afternoon, everybody. So really profound readings today, and I hope to, to be able to break, break those open for you. Um, one quick note that we're not going to go too deeply into, but that first reading from Deuteronomy 30, I know that's your favorite chapter, You're like, Deuteronomy 30, yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 30 has um, a really powerful word for us today. And here in our first reading, uh, Moses says, This commandment which I command you this day is not too hard for you, neither is it, is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up for us to heaven to bring it down for us, that we may hear it and do it? Here's what this is getting at. And then it's going to talk about, do we need to go across the sea to find this law, this commandment of God And brothers and sisters, here's the good news about our faith that Deuteronomy is pointing towards. So when it says, who will go up to heaven and get this law for us, that's actually a reference to the Ten Commandments. Moses climbs Mount Sinai into the very presence of God and brings down a law to give to the people. And then Moses says, is this law so far off that who will go across the sea to go find this law for us? It's a reference to the Red Sea, right? To bring the Jews out of Egypt, they had to cross across the sea to come to Mount Sinai to receive the law. And what Moses says is what we all know. In the gospel today, Jesus says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. We all know this, don't we? That's not this weird law. None of you are going to die, and God's going to, you know, judge you. And he says, you know what? You treated everyone terribly. And you're like, I was supposed to treat people well? You never, what? What are you, like, no one's going to say that. Because God wrote that law on your heart. And what you and I are called to do is to lean into that, something that's written, inscribed inside our very being. Today, when I really want to dive in with you two, and, and what I want to hopefully break open from this extremely powerful gospel today in Luke chapter 10. I want to talk to you about where human love ends is where divine love begins. Where human love ends is where divine love begins. So I don't know what you all do to get other people to love you. But I bet you're like me, right? We all, as human beings, there's the normal ways you try to get people to love you. All right, ladies, you have that, like, hair flip. I have it too. I sometimes do that, and people are like, That guy's got it, (laughs) When I entered seminary and was in my first year, we all do our normal things, don't we? We know that we're human love. The way to attract human love to ourselves is we want to be beautiful. We want to be smart and funny and charming. Knowledgeable, all these kinds of things. And that's the normal way that we draw other people to love us. I do the same things. I still do. When I entered seminary, my kind of identity and my self-identity was wrapped up in my knowledge of Scripture. It still kind of is. But my my first year of seminary, I I entered in and I was studying for priesthood and you don't know anybody yet and you want other people to like you. And so I was like, I'm the Scripture guy. I know everything about Scripture. Scripture. And there was another guy in my class who was also, like, he knew himself as the scripture guy. And we had this silent war our first year of seminary, and I totally destroyed him. It was awesome. It was totally amazing. And I did. I, like, totally blew him out of the water. And people came to know, it's like, oh, yeah, Larkin, he's the scripture guy. And I was like, don't mess with me. But divine love begins where human love ends. And one of the most profound lessons that I know I have to learn over and over again in my life happened in my seminary years. And probably halfway through seminary, I remember a group of my now very, very close friends. I was doing all the normal things about, here's how people love you, you know? Be intelligent, be funny, be, you know, charming, all these things. And I remember halfway through seminary, we had started my community, the Companions, and we were living together our first year. And all of my brothers in that household, they saw my ugliness. They saw my ugliness. And I'll never forget, so you know how some of you, when you get in fights, some of you explode and you wipe out everyone in your path? I implode, when I get upset, and I just shut down. Melancholics unite. I completely, and that happened that year. As I hit a breaking point, I can't remember what it was about, but I did. And I remember there was one part, right in the middle of that year, I broke down and I imploded, and I acted like a stubborn eight-year-old. I didn't talk to anybody for like a week and I just moped and I made everyone in the house feel miserable and there were even worse things but the guys, the point is the guys saw my ugliness and one of the best things that has ever happened in my life was I remember I came out of that kind of dark place and I thought well that's it, they all know what a loser you are and you're going to be cast to the ash heap you know, you'll be thrown out And I wasn't. And the brothers still loved me. Christian love, divine love, brothers and sisters, starts where human love ends. And today's story in the gospel has a lot to do with this. And I want to break this open for you, and what I want to do is two parts. I want to show you the dominant reading of this passage in all of church history, all the way back to the second century, starting with origin, running all the way through the ancient period, the medieval period, and the modern period. And I want to show you what the church has always said about this passage today. And then I want to challenge you about divine love beginning where human love ends. So here we go. So when you go to Israel... Selfish plug, I'm going next summer. Christophanic and I are leading a trip next summer. You should come. Uh, when you go to Israel, it is St. Jerome used to call Israel the fifth gospel. Because the stories in the gospel come to life in a way that when you hear them at church, you just can't see it the same way once you've been to Israel. So today in Luke chapter 10, so much is going on. And when you go to Israel, you're going to understand this in a way radically different than you did today. So Jesus tells this story, and the key to the story is the question that the lawyer asks. He says, who is my neighbor? And we'll come back to that. Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And here's the thing, when you go to Israel... Jerusalem, for them, is a high place in Israel. For us, we kind of laugh because we're Colorado snobs. But for them, it's a high place. Jerusalem sits 2,500 feet above sea level. It feels a little bit like Lakewood. I mean, it kind of does. <laughs> a little more dry, but it's kind of green. If you go to Israel, it's like it's, there's hills, and you feel like you're higher up. It's 2,500 feet up. You can stay in that region, it stays pretty green. But if you go and you head east down towards the Dead Sea in Jericho, one mile outside of Jerusalem, you feel like you are in the most barren desert imaginable. It's unbelievable how the landscape changes just outside of Jerusalem. And the path down to the Dead Sea, where Jericho is at, is a dramatic decline in elevation. So Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. And this is critical for understanding the story. Universally, almost, in church history, scholars and saints and the great teachers of our faith, they all say the same thing. You know what they say? They say the parable of the Good Samaritan is a parable about him. It's actually a parable about him. It's not first a moral exhortation. We shouldn't hear this parable today, and first thing we shouldn't hear, go change your life and do this. We should hear that, but that's second. First of all, this is a story about Jesus. So a man is going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. In scripture, Jericho is the city that represents humanity. It's low, it's earthly. In the story of Joshua and Jericho, what happens is, right, when the city falls, they march around it for seven days, and on the seventh day, they blow a trumpet seven times, and the walls of the city fall. In Revelation chapter 11, we're told the city of man, the earthly city, that at the end of time, there will be seven trumpet blasts and that the city of man falls, and the city of God triumphs. Jericho in Scripture is an image of humanity that needs God. That's what it is. A man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. When you go to Jerusalem with me next summer, you'll come to Mount Calvary. And if you ever seen an icon of Mount Calvary, you look at icons. Calvary, and it's called Golgotha, right? Golgotha means the place of a skull. And if you see those icons, there's always a skull at the bottom of a cross. And I always wondered my whole life, I was like, whose skull is that? Why is it called the place of a skull? The tradition of Christianity is that that skull is Adam's. And the tradition of Christianity is that when you go with me and we go to Mount Calvary, that Jesus dies in the same place that the first human being died in as well. The good Samaritan in this story is Christ. And the man he seeks after and finds is Adam. It's the human race. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him. Brothers and sisters, this is us. And what I want you to hear, all right, I know you're good looking. We have a lot of beautiful people here. You guys are all amazing. And I know you're smart and I know you're successful and I know you've got a lot going for you. You're poor. And what Christianity teaches us is that we have to learn that we're not rich. We're not the gifted ones. We're the ones who have been caught by Satan, who have been stripped and beaten down. And Jesus, that's me. Lord, and somehow when I was unlovable, Where human love ended, divine love began. And I had nothing to offer you. And I didn't live a moral life. I wasn't rich in the things that matter to you, Jesus. I was half dead and I was naked. And you loved me anyways. This is our story, brothers and sisters. That Christ came to love those who were incapable of being loved. So many details, I won't hit all of them today. But so beautiful in this story. Priest and the Levite, they pass by, they go on the other side of the road. And they do that because in Jewish law, Leviticus 21, what God teaches is that a priest or a Levite cannot go near a dead body. And if they do, they're unclean. And so instead of loving the naked person who is half dead on the side of the road, they're nervous about their own standing and their own status, and they keep going. And I hope you see how profound this is. When others could not love you, when you were too much of a risk to others, you are not a risk to him. And so the fathers of the church and the great saints through the history of Christianity have said Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He picks us up when we're on that side of that road. He brings us to the inn. The inn is an image of the church. And the human race is entrusted to us, brothers and sisters, to the church of God, to be looked after until Christ returns. Right, and Jesus says, I will pay, if, if you spend more than I have given you, I will pay you back when I return which sounds a lot like the parables and admonitions Jesus gives throughout the Gospels to us. That God will repay us when we're faithful to this. So the Levites and the priests pass on the other side. And they do that out of looking out for their own good. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion one of my favorite Greek words, so let's wake everybody up. So your Greek word today is spelankna. Everybody say spelankna. Spelankna in Greek means bowels. And the verb form that's used today in Luke, it means that Jesus, or the Samaritan, was stirred from the depths of his bowels. Right? When you see a poor person or a person in need, the first thing I do as I think about how busy I am and how I don't have time for this. And I've got somewhere I've got to be and I've got something else to take care of. The good samaritan passes by this man who's been beaten and robbed and he is moved and stirred from the center of his very being. That's who our God is. Thank you Jesus. There's other parts of the parable, but I want to finish today, and I want to challenge you. There's two points today I hope you're getting. The first point is that you are loved by God in a way that should shock you, right? That should get you out of bed in the morning and realize that even though I'm a total schmuck, I am loved in a way I don't deserve. And that's such good news. That's the first point. The second point is this, the key point to this parable today is understanding the question. The question the lawyer asks is not, who should I go out and love, or how should I live my life? That's how most people read this parable. And they think, okay, I should be nicer to people, and I should donate some more money to help the poor. You should do that, but that's not the first point of this parable. The question the lawyer asks is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? What that means to a Jew is who belongs to my family? Who are the people that are mine? In the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18. I know you have not memorized, but we'll read it anyways. Leviticus 19.18. Jesus isn't teaching anything new here. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall take vengeance, or not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor means family. Who belongs? Who are my people? And here's the crux of today's parable. N.T. Wright says this. If you don't know N.T. Wright, you can't be a Christian. Just kidding. N.T. Wright is probably the top scripture scholar in the world. Here's what N.T. Wright says The point was not that the Samaritan regarded the Jew in the ditch as his neighbor, nor is this story simple a moral encouragement. Jesus is not saying to us today, hey, go love somebody you wouldn't normally love. That's not the main point. The point was more subtle, more directly related to the question which of the three turned out to be neighbor to the Jew in the ditch? In other words, which person in the story counts as the neighbor? Who's in the family? Who's in our family as Catholics? Here's the point of the parable. The Jew in the ditch, the person lying on the side of the road, (laughs) discovered that the Samaritan was his neighbor. Hang with me. This point is deep, brothers and sisters. The Jew in the ditch discovered that the Samaritan was his neighbor. And by implication, he also discovered that the two travelers on the road were not his neighbors. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Divine love begins where human love ends. when I was in seminary and I found and I discovered that I was loved not because of my gifts but because I had brothers this is the Christian message and it is not the case brothers and sisters that you and I are loved because of our gifts we become lovable because we were first loved and for us, our neighbor, who is our neighbor? Divine love should send us out. And when we go out, right, the people out there who think they hate Christianity, the person who thinks that you're a bigot because you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, who thinks that you're judgmental and hate- hateful, when you love that person to the end, They don't discover that you're a good person. They discover that you are their family. That they belong at a table that they didn't think they did. The mark of Christians, brothers and sisters, is not human love. It's divine love. When we love others, when we love the poor, when we love the loveless, they know that they actually belong somewhere. So Jesus, today, Lord, we know you are the Good Samaritan. Jesus, I pray as we finish today, Lord, help me and help everyone here to know just how poor we are, how desperately we need you we have been beaten and stripped naked and left for dead and Lord that you came down from heaven to the city of man to love the loveless Lord may your love define us may it redefine the boundaries of the church Jesus may we truly love all those that we encounter, especially the poor, that they might become our neighbor.